Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Well, welcome. I am excited to share a message with you along the lines that we've been talking about discovering and living your God-given dream. Jesus is in, in Jerusalem in the temple, and the Bible says that he, he makes a whip out of some rope. You know, we have this picture of Jesus meek and mild. I want to tell you something. Jesus got pretty wild at times. He makes a whip and he's driving out the people that are selling animals in the temple and and says, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer. And the disciples remember that the psalmist wrote that zeal for your house has eaten me up. So Jesus has got zeal. He has enthusiasm. And, And that is one of the ways really we can tell what God has called us to do. The thing that we're enthusiastic about, the thing that gets us excited, and sometimes it's even the thing that we hate, all right? And we're called to minister to help in that area. One example of that is Moses. Now, now Moses, the call on his life is to be a deliverer, right? So when he sees the Israelites being oppressed, he tries to step in and tries to deliver. He ends up having to run away into the land of, of, of Midian. And when he gets to the land of Midian, he finds some shepherdesses who are being oppressed and he delivers them. Right? Now, his problem was he was trying to do everything in his own strength. Forty years later, God sends him back to be a deliverer. But that was the thing that was inside him to begin with. He had a zeal. He had an enthusiasm when it came to seeing people oppressed. He hated it and he wanted to get involved. He wanted to do something. And God does the same thing with us. He puts something down on the inside of us. Now the Bible says this in Romans chapter 12. This is verse 11, translators New Testament. It says, do not let your enthusiasm wane. Now a lot of people do. A lot of Christians, they, 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 they let that enthusiasm that they have about the kingdom of God, they let it wane. Where Jesus said, seek first the kingdom, but it wanes. And they begin to literally get distracted. They begin to pour their life into other things. It says, don't let your enthusiasm wane. Be spiritually alive, binding yourself to the Lord in service. So here's what happens to a lot of us. All right. We're like a reservoir and we're sitting and we're receiving and receiving and receiving and receiving and receiving, but there's no outlet. You know, it's a picture of the Dead Sea. The Jordan River flows in, but nothing flows out. And, And it's the Dead Sea because nothing can live in that sea. And that's what a lot of Christians are like. They're receiving and receiving and receiving, but there's no outlet, right? But the Bible says the way that you keep your enthusiasm alive is by binding yourself to the Lord in service. Get involved in the kingdom of God. A lot of people, they really do. They see themselves more as a reservoir. I'm just receiving, receiving. I call them POPs, prisoners of pews. All that they want to do is just sit there and receive and receive. But don't see yourself as a reservoir. See yourself as a river. That's how we're supposed to see ourselves. Wherever I go, I'm there to bless. I'm there to lift. I'm there to encourage everywhere, everyone. When we focus on ourselves, right, we become less content, less enthusiastic, and literally less blessed. Because when we become selfish, it repels blessing. But when we focus on others, meeting the needs of others, our needs and our wants automatically just get blessed, get met. We're blessed. 
We're more content. We're more enthusiastic. Just in between services, uh, I was in the back and Jeannie was reading this verse. It says, if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, listen, then your light will arise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday. What's it saying? It's saying when you pour yourself into others, blessing comes to you. So when the Bible says, don't let your enthusiasm wane, this is what it's saying. It's saying you need to find an outlet. You cannot just be receiving. You need to find a place where you can lift people, where you can bless, where you can encourage, where you can add value. One of the things that it takes to keep your enthusiasm alive is you need to not just be receiving, you need to be giving out, you need to be ministering to other people. Don't let it wane. Now, the other thing, that, that, that helps us keep our enthusiasm alive is being around the right people, right? Your associations. Now, let, let, me, let me just, just show you how people around you affect you. Now, God has 2 million Israelites in Egypt that he's going to deliver, right? And they're slaves. So when God's going to deliver them, do you know what he does? He brings somebody from the outside, Moses, and he's the only Israelite who hasn't been a slave. He was brought up in Pharaoh's household. He thinks different, right? And he uses him to deliver. Another example of the same thing takes place in 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is the story of David and Goliath, one of the best known stories in the entire Bible. The Philistines are oppressing the Israelites. And this is really great. This is one of the places when you go to Israel, you know exactly where this took place. You can see the two hills, the valley, the stream that runs in between. In fact, you can go down there today and pick up five smooth stones, still today. Right? The Philistine comes out. His name's Goliath. This guy's about 10 foot tall, weighs around 700 pounds. Right? He's a big dude. When he sits down for pizza, he eats like 12 pizzas all by himself. Big ones, all right? And he comes out. 40 days, every morning, every night, send me a man to fight. And if he kills me, we'll be your slaves. If I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel. Right? Now, King Saul hears this. And this is what the Bible says. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. When they saw the man, they fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. Now, if anybody ought to fight, have been fighting this giant, it was Saul. Because the Bible says he was head and shoulders taller than any person in all of Israel. He was the natural. But he was afraid. And his fear spread to the entire army. Nobody was willing to fight. Everybody's afraid. Everybody fled. Ran in terror from this guy. Now, David has three brothers that are in the army. But David has been keeping his father's sheep. And his dad says, hey, bring your brothers some food. Find out how things are going. So he shows up on the battlefield and he hears that giant. Now here's what he has not been, he has not been affected by Saul. He has not been affected by any of the men. He hears and he says, I'll go. I'll do it. You know, and his brothers are like, you can't do that. We know the insolence of your heart. You're here because you, know, you just want to see the battle. And his brothers are rebuking him. And I love what he did. The Bible says that he turned away. How many of you know there's some people you just can't listen to? Because if you listen to them, you're going to get the same junk they've got. All right? That's what they're passing out. They're passing out what's on the inside of them. He turns away. He ends up, they bring him to the king. 
And he says, hey, I'll go fight. And the king says, you can't do that. You're just a kid. And he's been a man of war since his youth. And David said, look, I was keeping my father's sheep. And a bear and a lion attacked the sheep. I went after him. I grabbed him by the beard and I killed him. And what God did for me, protecting me and helping me against a lion and against a bear, he will do with this Philistine. Finally, he talks the king into it. The king says, go down. Tries to put his armor on him. Doesn't fit. David says, just let me go. He goes down with a stick and a sling. And by the way, the Bible tells us he stops in this creek and, and he picks up five smooth stones. Now, preachers for years have been talking about why five. And what, what I, I remember hearing, well, it, it's Ephesians chapter 4. It's the five-fold ministry. It represents the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Maybe, but I'm going to tell you what I think. Right? Goliath, the Bible is very clear about this, he had four brothers. One stone for Goliath, one for each brother. He was ready to take on the whole clan. Right? He's going down and he's ready. And you know what happens. He comes towards that giant and he sees him and he says, do you think I'm a dog? You come at me with a stick? He said, the Bible says he cursed him by his gods. He said, I'm going to kill you. And then David said, you come against me with a sword and a spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel who you have defiled. And this day he will deliver you into my hand and I'm going to kill you. I'm going to cut your head off. Now, let me just tell you what happened. When Goliath heard that, Goliath went into shock. You say, why? Because nobody had ever talked back to Goliath since he was in fifth grade. <laughs> when you're in fifth grade and weigh 400 pounds, nobody messes with you. All right? And David, he said, Goliath said, and then David said, and, 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 and you realize that the devil's always going to be talking to you. And you always need to talk back, right? Never let the devil have the last word. David slings that stone, hits him in the forehead, goes over, takes his sword, cuts his head off, and Goliath didn't say anything else. Do you know who God used to deliver Israel? It was somebody who had not been affected and contaminated by Saul and his army. Saul never killed a giant. No one in his army ever killed a giant. David killed a giant, and every giant killer, every time a giant showed up, there was a giant killer in David's army, because giant killers produce giant killers. We need to be careful. We need to be selective when it comes to the people that we hang around, because they really do make a difference in our lives. We, we, we keep our enthusiasm by the associations we keep. We keep our enthusiasm, the Bible says, by binding ourselves to the Lord in service. You know, those, those Israelites, they saw Goliath and they said, he is so big, you'll kill me. David saw him and said, he's so big, I can't miss. <laughs> David looked at that Goliath and said, man, he's big, but my God is so much bigger. And, and I want to encourage you today because your God is so much bigger. The Bible says in Psalms 19, verse 1, the heavens are telling of the greatness of God. The heavens are telling or declaring the greatness of God. I wanted to introduce you to two stars. Some of you may know these stars. One of them, uh, it doesn't look like it, but they actually pronounce it Beetlejuice. That makes it easy to pronounce. 
Betelgeuse is 640 light years away. So if we got in the car and we drove at the speed of light, 160, 60, what is it, 186 miles per second, we'd be lapping the earth seven times every second. And we did that for 640 years. We would get to the star Betelgeuse, which by the way, that star is two, well, well, this way, over two quadrillion Earths, quadrillion Earths fit inside of Betelgeuse. Now, I, 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 quadrillion, I, you know, I, I know about the national debt. I knew a little bit about trillions, but I'd never even heard of a quadrillion. Right? So this helped me understand what is a quadrillion. Right? A million seconds ago is only 12 days ago. A billion seconds ago is 31 years ago. A trillion seconds ago is 31,000 years ago. A quadrillion seconds ago is 31,709,000 years ago. And two quadrillion, so that's, what would it be? Two, two billion billion earths fit inside of Betelgeuse. But that's not the biggest star. The biggest one they found is UV Shooty. Now, UV Shooty is 950 light years away, 950, excuse me, 9,500 light years away. And we can put 6.6 quadrillion Earths inside of that one star, UV Shooty. And again, what's a, what's a quadrillion? It's a trillion trillions. But this is six quadrillion that fits inside of that one star. I just want you to know that the prophet was right when he said, is there anything too hard for the Lord? The God who said, let there be light and Betelgeuse and UV Shooty jumped into existence along with more stars than they're able to count. The latest estimates by astrologers say that for every grain of sand in all of the deserts and all of the oceans and all of the beaches in the world, there are 10 stars for every grain of sand that we have on planet Earth. I just want you to know that your God is able, that your God is great, that there is nothing that is hard for the Lord. We look at our problem and think it's big. Give me a break. It's not. It might be to you, but it is not to God. Now, every time that you are going to move ahead, there's always opposition. Truett Cathy, founder of Chick-fil-A, which is today the second largest quick service restaurant in America, in his biography, he said that when he began, he was so tongue-tied that he could not put three words together in a sentence without stumbling over himself. Three weeks after he opened his first store, it burned to the ground. When he finally opened his second store, his, his brothers, who were his partners, were all together and killed in a plane crash. Now, that doesn't sound like a prize-winning recipe for success. And there were voices that were telling him, just quit. Give up. What's the use? Why keep trying? You're never going to make it. But, of course, today... It is a tremendous business with thousands and thousands of employees feeding millions of people, millions of people, all right? You know, failures and setbacks are not the end. 
When there's a failure or a setback, the devil says to give up, but the Holy Spirit is telling us to get up. That the righteous man may fall seven times, but he rises again. When there's a setback, you don't even need to take a step back because God is preparing your comeback. Now, one of the things, listen, one of the things that is so necessary for us today, because we have the wrong mentality when it comes to the subject of praise, we need to celebrate every victory. We need to be, be praising God over partial victories, right? I want you to think about this. Zerubbabel goes to build the temple in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, the people are discouraged. The place has been leveled. There's no temple. There's nothing. And the Bible says that the builders laid the foundation of the house of the Lord. And the priests stood up in their apparel with trumpets. And the Levites and the sons of Asaph, that's David's praise and worship leader, they're with cymbals and they praise the Lord. And they begin to sing and they're singing and they're saying, for he's good and his mercy endures forever towards Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout. And they praised the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's house had been laid. And when the people shouted a great shout, they said, the sound was heard afar off. Now, you look at that and you think, it's a little premature, guys. You got a foundation. You don't even have a floor. There's no tile. There's no walls. There's no roof. There's no menorah. There's no altar. There's there's nothing that all you've got is a little foundation. And what are they doing? They begin to praise God because the foundation has been laid. They begin to celebrate because they know that he who began a good work in you, he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That when God starts something, he finishes something. That dream may not be complete yet, but you need to begin to praise God on the partial. Praise God when you see the foundation. Praise God when you see the the, the momentum beginning to go in your direction. Right? What he starts, he finishes. And literally, when we begin to praise God, it is the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And if you don't lose your joy, the devil cannot derail your faith. So they begin, they begin to praise on the partial. And there's people here, you're waiting right now. You're waiting for the whole thing. But what you need to do is you need to stand up now. You're online, you need to stand up now. And you need to begin to praise God now for the partial. Begin to praise him for the victory you have seen. Begin to praise him because God's begun to move. See, and when you begin to praise because he's beginning to move on your behalf, all of a sudden your faith gets motivated. You get enthusiastic. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And the God that started it, he'll finish it. Anybody can shout when the walls are fall down, but you need to shout today. You need to shout on the partial. Begin to worship because the foundation is laid. Begin to thank him. Now listen, here's what we do. We want everything to be just right. Everything's got to be good. And then I'm going to praise the Lord. Then I'm going to be thankful to God. Listen, like everything is never right. All right? There's something, something's going on all the time. You know, there's an attack in your body or an attack in your finances or your marriage. Jeannie says the words every man hates to hear. We need to talk. (laughs) 
I mean, those words put fear in the heart of every man. Like, what have I done wrong? What's not right? All right? If something's not right with the kids or something's not right with the job or your friends or the extended family, if you are waiting for everything to be just right before you begin to praise, you will never praise. Right? Stuff happens. Someday you're the pigeon, but some days you're the statue. It's just the way it is. All right? And expecting life. To always be fair because you're a good person. That's like thinking a bull won't charge because you're a vegetarian. The bull don't care. The world don't care. Listen, Hebrews 13. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise. You say, why is it a sacrifice? Because it's a partial. That God has begun to move, but you haven't got all the victory yet. What are we supposed to do? Give the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Begin to be thankful for what you've seen. Now, here's where some of us are. We're like elephants, right? Now, don't take this as an insult, but we're like an elephant. Now, this is what they do with elephants. When an elephant is young, right, they take a, a chain and a shackle, a metal shackle, and put it on that elephant's leg, they take a large metal stake and they drive it in the ground as far as they can, right? And that little elephant is trying to get away, keeps trying to break free. But what happens over a period of time, that little elephant accepts the limitation. I can't get free. I've tried, but I I just can't get free. And then it grows and it gets larger. And not only would it be able to pull that big stake out, but they don't even use a big stake anymore. And they don't use a metal chain anymore. They just take a little rope and a little stake and put it in the ground. And as soon as that elephant feels it get taut, feels a little resistance, it has accepted the limitation and it no longer even attempts to break free. That's what happens to a lot of Christians. Listen, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus is the author and finisher of your faith. And he takes you from faith to faith, from glory to glory. And there may have been a time when you didn't have the faith, but you know what? Your faith is growing because the author, Jesus, and the finisher of your faith is bringing you from faith to faith. And you have accepted the limitations that you cannot break free. But the truth is, just like that elephant, all you need to do is pull in Jesus' name by the power of his blood and you can break that thing. You do not need to stay where you are. Glory to glory, faith to faith. Right? You, you just need to speak to that thing. And you realize you have authority over Satan. Jesus said... In Luke chapter 10, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents, scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt or harm you. Now, I realize that some of us, we're like, how do I do that? So I just wanted to read to you a short passage of scripture that will show us how to do this. It says, now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain servant girl who had a spirit of divination met us. Now, my translation is the spirit of divination. The Greek, and some of your translations translate this differently. 
And they actually said that she has a python spirit. That's what it says in the Greek, a python spirit. How many know what a python does? It's a large snake that it wraps itself around its prey. And every time they take a breath and exhale, it just squeezes in. And it just squeezes in until all the breath is out. And that is a beautiful picture. Maybe it's an ugly picture. But it's an accurate picture of what Satan tries to do to every Christian. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he wants to wrap himself around us and literally crush the breath and the blessing of God out of our lives. So they, they're met by this girl with a spirit of divination who brought her master's much profit by fortune telling. The girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. This she did for many days. But Paul, being greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit. He didn't say to her. He said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And he, the spirit, came out that very hour. You see, you have authority. When David went to face Goliath, he spoke. Jesus in Matthew 4 faced the devil. The Bible says the devil said, then Jesus said, the devil said, then Jesus said, the devil said, then Jesus said. You see, the way you face the enemy is you face him with your words. I remember years ago, I went to the doctor and he said to me, stick out your tongue. And he had this rubber glove on. He grabs my tongue. Right? He's open wide. And I'm open wide. He goes, looks under my tongue. And then he says, okay. He says, keep your mouth open wide. And he pulled my tongue down. He looked on the top of my tongue. He looked at my, in back of my throat. He went, you're good. You're good. He looked at my tongue and said, I'm good. I think God looks at our tongue and says, you're good or you're not good. Yeah. Some of us in our tongue, is we're just saying, you know, things never go my way. I'm never going to succeed. I'm never going to be able to get a good job. I'm never going to lose weight. I'm never going to amount to anything. I'm always going to be a failure. You know, they told me I'll end up in prison, and that's where I'm going to be. I'm going to be in prison. But the Bible says that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. You know, you need to speak with your tongue, and you need to talk peace, freedom, healing, victory, deliverance, blessing for your home, blessing for your marriage, blessing for your children, blessing on your job, blessing on your business, right? Begin to speak that thing out. Now, Chuck Yeager was a World War II fighter pilot, hero. And at the close of the Second World War, people were trying to break the sound barrier. And Chuck was one of those people. A lot of people were trying And as they would approach the speed of sound, the planes would shake and rattle. Some of them actually disintegrated and pilots died. Well, in October of 1947, Chuck had just cracked two ribs. And he was told, don't even try, don't even go. But he got in that plane. And he says, as he approached the sound barrier, he said that plane began to rattle and shake. And he actually thought that it might just disintegrate. And he said, and suddenly he broke through. And he said, and I got to a tremendous place of calm. He said, it was just serene when I broke through that sound barrier. I believe that that is often a picture of our life. As we're approaching the breakthrough, right, there can be a lots of rattling, a lot of shaking going on. But when you break through to that place that God's got for you. It is a place of peace. Listen to Micah chapter 2. No one 
excuse me, the one who breaks open will come up before them. Now, by the, by the way, the one who breaks open, that's Jesus, that's God. They will break out. Now, he goes before, all right, and he breaks open. But once he breaks it, how many of you know he broke it open? He broke it open when he arose from the dead. The one who broke, the, he broke it open, it says they, that's you and I, will break out and pass through the gate and go out by the way. And their king, how many know that's Jesus, will pass before them with the Lord at their head. You see, God breaks open so we can break out. And you need to break out of that place of fear, negative thinking, break out of the insecurities, break out of the failures of your past, break out of depression and hopelessness, break out of that self-defeating mentality that nothing is ever going to change. You see, he has broken it open. Jesus has. He has obtained the victory for us. He has defeated the devil for us. Now, what we need to do is we need to take and we need to take, and take that authority that he's given us, and we need to say to the devil, devil, you are defeated. You are under my feet. Jesus has defeated you, and we need to speak that thing out. You are a part of the kingdom of God. You've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. And don't let past failures dominate you. Don't let fear dominate you. Don't let things that people have said dominate you. The truth about you is what God says about you. And you are who he says you are. You can do what he says you can do. You can have what he says you can have. And we need to break out of that mindset where people are going to tell you you're too old, you've never done anything, you don't have the looks, you don't have the education, you're never going to make it because it's not true. God has put a gift inside of every single person. And, and there's a video that I, I was shown a while back, and I, some of you probably seen this, but I just wanted to show you this video and just make a couple of comments before we close. Guys. <laughs> Hi, what's your name, darling? My name is Susan Boyle. Okay, what's the dream? I, I'm trying to be a professional singer. And why hasn't it worked out so far, Susan? I've never been given the chance before, but he's hoping it'll change. Okay, and who would you like to be as successful as? Elaine Page. Elaine Page. Like what are you going to sing tonight? I'm going to sing I Dreamed a Dream from the Miserables. Okay, big song. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. When 
Vegas debut recording artist in UK history, selling the most records ever. People looked at her and thought, she can't have got it. She's too old. She's never done. She's never sang in public. What can she do? Well, she blew them away, didn't she? She blew me away. But let me just tell you something. God has placed inside of every person a gift. The Bible says that a person's gift, it makes room for them. You see, and God wants you to use the gift that he has given you. As you go through life like a river and you bless people and you encourage people and you lift people and you help people and you, Jesus said this, that when they see your good works, they will glorify your father who is in heaven. You are a representative of the kingdom of God. Now, would you please bow your head just a moment and please, you'll be out of here in five minutes. No one moving around, please, unless it's absolutely necessary. You know, we sit, the Bible tells us he sits on high. And our God is great. Six quadrillions, earth sitting in one star. He's great, but he looks low. And there is no problem, no difficulty, no situation, addiction, hurt, rejection, sorrow, pain, or tear that you have cried. That the Bible says he does not feel the feelings as we go through our difficulties, our infirmities. That's why Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, Jesus said the thief, the devil, he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you may have life, that you may have it more abundantly. He's saying, I have forgiveness. I have freedom for you. I have healing for your soul, hope for your future freedom from any addiction. He said, I want you to have that abundant life. Now, if you're here today, but you're away from God, you're not right with God, you're online, you're watching, you say, I want to get right with God. I'm going to count to three in just a moment. When I say three, I want you to lift your hand. This is what's going to happen. We're going to pray and God is going to meet you right here in this place today. And when we say amen, Your past is going to be gone. You're going to be forgiven. You're going to be right with God. And you are going to be a part of his family on your way to heaven. But I want you to listen carefully. When you lift your hand, when I say three, the first thing that you're saying to God is this. You're saying, God, I know I need a Savior. And I'm coming to Jesus to be saved and to be forgiven. Because he is the only Savior. One. As you lift your hand... You're saying, I'm turning my back on my old life. I am not going to let the devil steal, kill, and destroy my life and my family one more day. I'm coming to Jesus to receive the abundant life that he has for me. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.